0: normal podcast here to tell you that you're weird and that's normal this song by jason morrell burn it down feels kind of fitting there's a lot i want to burn down from my evangelical upbringing the white supremacy the nationalism that's so prevalent now the toxic patriarchy the shaming the apologetics But on my good days, I don't want to burn it down out of anger. I want to burn it down so the new green growth can sprout and enjoy all the soil and sunshine it needs. Each of the stories in this series involve a burning, a death of self, of ideas previously held tightly, of relationships. And those deaths were necessary for growth.
1: Sort of saying that was like the final nail in the coffin
2: There's a way in which you have to let that that person die so
3: that the person that you actually are can live when you walk away from this stuff you risk losing everything your culture your friends your home sometimes even i mentioned in part one that
0: there are no easy answers There's a tension for everyone in this series, those who were kicked out or chose to leave the evangelical church, and yet still have a faith and wish there was a community for them. If we reflect back on the spiritual journeys we've heard, there were great things about some of our youth church experiences. Most folks shared the church was a safe space. They had supportive youth and music pastors and Christian teachers who allowed them to think creatively about spirituality. They found connection. Some even found relationships that continue to this day. And one thing we haven't talked about is finding messages and learning practices that sustain us now. In some ways, I'm still that high school girl that was passionate about Jesus and wanted to tell people all about it. With my best friends, I still do weird shit like randomly feel the need to pray out loud. They love me, so they tolerate it. For me, memorizing Bible verses and prayer is a practice that has helped me over the years with fear, anxiety, sadness, remembering God is with me. I was created and am cared about. I am to love myself and love those around me. I may question whether something is true or not, but regardless, the practices have helped me. But many parts of my baby theology have died. I now believe that God is way more creative than we are, and that's just a little part of what's changed. Tiffany says it well. My beliefs about God and
4: my trust in God is not something that has ever moved around. That's always been the most centered, solid thing about me. So now my belief about God as in who God is, I can only describe as continually expanding and getting bigger. So as I see things, experience things, see people. So then I go, oh they're part of they're part of God's thing too. They're part of God's thing too. So really God gets bigger and unfolds more people and more situations and still remains my center and my constant. Mm-hmm.
0: I think the number one thing that those of us raised in the evangelical church struggle with is carrying that message of love in our hearts and then seeing and hearing what the evangelical church is today. It is super disconcerting. And recently I've been hearing this narrative of warning, not getting tempted by deconstruction, as if we're all somehow recruiting folks out of evangelicalism. Folks are leaving evangelicalism because of evangelicals, not because of us on the outside.
1: I mean, my takeaway from all this is just look how many people have rejected the messaging of their youth. Like, everything was fear based. It was all fear based. And so, on the one side, you're saying it should be this thing that brings you, like, absolute joy. So it's just like, I I don't know how to feel joyful when you're also trying to make me scared about everything. This doesn't feel very joyful.
0: The evangelical communities I was part of know their Bibles. The friends you heard in this series have years and years of reading and study, So when questions about some of the things they were taught in church start popping up, what led our friends to change their minds was not, as evangelicals would say, the secular world, turning away from God, living in sin, but rather digging deeper into the Bible, reading, historical research, learning from other Bible teachers and theologians. So in that, I took
3: church history, early medieval and modern church history. In combination with, I I was in a class, theology and literature,
5: started thinking about my, my theology, trying to think about like, what does God really think about this? We started, you know, going back into some parts of the Bible and scripture and like read some books that helped me sort of reinterpret and like contextualize the time that, you know, that these things were written and how this sort of plays out.
4: The focus for Southern Baptists is scripture, scripture, scripture. We love the Bible, we read the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. And so I did. I read the Bible, I took Hebrew, I took Greek, I read it in its original languages.
6: Everyone was required to take evangelism, Old Testament, New Testament, and creation studies.
0: That was the deconstruction period. But as Emily says, there's gotta be something on the other side.
3: There's a lot of us out there that felt like we had to give up on this kind of community in our lives and this kind of belief in our lives because it didn't fit the mold that we saw and i deeply believe there's another way to do it
0: so here's the news it's not that there's one perfect place for all of us no i don't think it works like that but there are changes afloat people have new ideas there can be new life in old things change can happen on the individual level and the corporate level. As an example, online church has been a huge shift in the way church happens. Suddenly, millions of people were just thrust out the door of their church, either because of COVID or because of their church's response to COVID, and landed in other churches' Zoom meetings or YouTube channels or Facebook groups. And so then pandemic, I've just been
4: watching City Square that's good. And I honestly don't know if I'll ever go to a church Sunday morning very often again, just like, because I'm not a morning person. I don't no. like to get up. And so that I can, you know, roll out of bed and I can interact. What do you want to pray about? You put it in there and they, they say it in the service and you can make comments and they'll read them and they'll interact with it in the start, you know. Dude, it's so awesome.
0: I love, I love online church. Me too. Like I love that I can attend a. Church anywhere in the US, anywhere want. in the world. In the if world, world. If I, I want sometimes want watch
4: Grace Cathedral in San Francisco, right? Because there starts right after City Squares. City
0: Squares at 10, Grace Cathedral is at 11. Yeah. And I feel like I look forward to it more mm-hmm. than going to a church yeah. location because I can like put my robe yeah. on, get my coffee, get comfy, <laughs> mm-hmm. not be worried about driving there and looking good and seeing uh-huh. people I don't want to or whatever. Just yeah. plop down and
3: enjoy. And I think that's part of what COVID has done too, is like forced us to think about those things again, or or surface stuff. It's just most certainly changed us.
0: Right, and talk about a huge change in how people approach church over the past two years. Yeah. That's
3: totally unprecedented. Right. It's like changing the questions we ask about what church is, and that's a cool thing.
0: There's lots of other changes in creativity happening across the country. They require Christians to look around and go, who is excluded? And then choose to push the bounds of what church is, what happens there, and who's invited in. So let's take a look at one little church in one little town. You may remember Emily. She works at All Souls Episcopal Parish in Berkeley, California.
3: I'm like in charge of newcomers programs around community and kinship and discipleship, and then I help resource like the ministry teams. So there's like really active adult formation classes, uh, justice and peace work, stewardship stuff. I I, I help all, all those teams kind of function. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like a community organizer kind of. Um, I actually teach the catechumenate. Okay, we teach what the Episcopal Church is. A little bit like mini systematic theology, what we believe about God, humanity, Jesus, all in this one little course.
2: She works closely with the Reverend Maggie Foote. So I'm what's called an associate rector, so I'm like basically like the second priest at a church, and the church that I work at is on the bigger side for Episcopal churches. I have four areas. One is children's ministry, one's youth ministry, uh, one is communications, and then the other one is pastoral care, you know, visiting people and...
0: And Emily came up with an idea. Here's Jason.
6: If you can tell me what you're for, and I can clearly see it, then I'm all for it. Like I want to be a part of it. And with the Sunday night service and with the Vine, it was the same way. The founders of those spaces clearly can articulate what they're for. Mm -hmm. I think that's really powerful.
3: I've been wondering if there are people like me who have left a more evangelical or conservative church background, and have been left and just have been wandering. I've been calling them evangelical refugees in the Bay Area specifically.
2: Well, it's really Emily's dream, vision, child, baby. It's (laughs) it's hers. She's had this vision for a long time because as you know, she had this um, evangelical background and then she came out and was basically like, then forced to the outside of that faith community that she had known but still maintained a love of Jesus and a belief in the gospel, that the gospel is healing and that the gospel speaks and that she was a part of that even in her queerness. And so she eventually found the Episcopal Church because she was looking for a job. Why Why are you doing Sunday night service?
3: I have fell, fallen in love with the Episcopal Church in many ways. It's theology and it's politics and it's liturgy. I think it does these things really well and holds ambiguity in a way that I've not seen an institution hold. Its politics are obviously more um, progressive. That's the, the term we use. And yet they hold it all so faithfully. It's very scripturally based and it's very much centered around the person of Jesus I have really been taken by these pieces of the Episcopal Church. Here's Sunday night service visitor Keith.
7: It was actually Jason who connected me with Emily. Emily and I talked and we both kind of had some similar upbringings, it seems. Yeah, she was just telling me how, like, we're starting this new thing (laughs) and we're going to see where it takes us. But, um... Once I began meeting the people and kind of hearing about just like, you know, like there are people who were hurt by the church. I felt hurt by the church in some ways and in many ways. (laughs) Um, Hearing the stories of people who are like, I want to be around church, but it's draining. It's, It's burning me out creatively, spiritually, emotionally, whatever that may be. And, like, as I began hearing those stories from these people, like, that was something where I was just like, I feel like Jesus would actually hang out with these people. And these would be <laughs> the types of people that would be gathering around him. So going to be able to check out some of the pre-launch types of mm-hmm, services and mm-hmm. events is something that I really appreciated.
0: Her idea was this. Is there a group of local evangelical refugees kicked out of previous communities with
3: nowhere to go who might be interested in the Episcopal Church? Because there aren't a lot of places to go. If you change your mind about who you think Jesus is, what you think his death on the cross meant, if you change your mind about who you think God is, if you change your mind about gender, if you change your mind about sexuality, if you change your mind about the nature of the state, like na- national, just politics, government, you are often left with nowhere to go. Yeah. And it just felt like, Oh, the Episcopal church has all of those things. And yet they are stepping on their own toes. Like I've never seen and can't get people in the door. So what I'd like to what I'm trying to do is to create a place, a space, a church, a place to heal, that brings in people like me, but brings us into the healing space that I think the the Episcopal Church can offer us.
6: Mm -hmm.
0: They're calling it Sunday night service and hoping to make some tweaks to the normal Sunday morning service to make it more approachable for those of us used to evangelical services.
2: Here's Maggie. And so this is what's really like, I think important for us to keep a hold on is that when she first came to the, the Episcopal Church, All Souls in Berkeley, it was so foreign to her, but she was working there, so she had to keep coming back. And eventually she like grew to understand and appreciate the liturgy and the theology that's reflected in that liturgy. But it took time, and the reason that she didn't walk back out the door is because she was em- employed by the church, right, right? right? And so I think that's something that we've been talking about a lot. For people who didn't grow up in a liturgical tradition, and when I say that, I mean like when you say prayers all at the same time or when you have these ritual actions like communion and and saying the peace and the confession and people are kneeling at the same time and standing at the same time. Like if you didn't grow up with that, it's kind of freaky. Yeah. You know, it's a little (laughs) freaky. And as someone who did grow up with it, sometimes I forget that. And so it's how do we like hold on to what is beautiful and what speaks about that tradition and the theology reflected in it? And present it in a way that doesn't make people want to walk back out the door if it's new or foreign. Right. You know, and I think we're still figuring that out where it's very new. You know, we've only done three services. We're still trying to toe that line of like, this is an Episcopal liturgy, but it's also like, hopefully not as freaky. (laughs) And it's a little more accessible to people who haven't experienced it before.
0: Did you catch what Maggie said the liturgy is? It's basically the structure of their religious services. So they'll say a written prayer all together, or the priest will say something and then the congregation will respond. And there are ritual actions, like take communion, which involves eating bread and drinking a shot glass of wine, or saying the same words together, like the confession and the peace. You know, grace and peace be with you, response, and also with you. Remember, as Aaron said in part one of this series, evangelicals have a basic music, sermon, music format, where any prayers that happen are willy-nilly, whatever pops into the pastor's head to say out loud, or into your own head privately.
3: We're not used to this kind of structure. Okay, back to the liturgy. The liturgy is, um, there's a lot of expectations, like you just know what these things mean and what to do, when to stand, when to sit there's a lot of foreign bits. Uh, they walk the gospel book out to the middle to be read and there's great significance behind all of it. But if you don't know that it looks void of meaning Yes, because it's just like ritualized and, and ritual can, can err on that side of things. Yeah. It, it can also like create accountability and structure and like a rhythm by which you can feel. And I have found that a lot of Episcopal services I've been to air more on the ritual turning into rote rather than ritual turning into like rhythm. Mm -hmm. Cause like you go to, yeah, I I could go on and on like the funeral, the memorials that uh, Episcopal service does there, it's really stunning language and, and, and like, it's the same service that like but there's the, the the liturgy is the same, so it's right. a great equalizer, right. and it's really stunning in that way. Yeah, um, and yet it can be really off-putting if done in particular ways.
7: There's definitely some things that are like kind of culturally different for me. Kind of like liturgy is something that's always going to be weird to me, and this is coming from me working in Presbyterian contexts for some time now. Yeah, and so Presbyterians love their liturgy. And something I appreciate about liturgy, and have unders- come to understand about it, is that liturgy is meant to reenact the whole story—the whole from God calling us and making us in creation, redeeming us, and inviting us to the table um, into the same work that that He or She is doing in restoring all things. Like I love that story arch or that story arc, and. At the same time, it feels like it really like gets kind of choppy and like messes with the flow of emotions for me personally. Because right. I love, I love emotionally getting into yeah. That's the the Pentecostal and maybe the Baptist in me is like just emotionally getting into that space of where we're just sitting, <laughs> yeah. Um, and responding. And sometimes when you're too like. Stand up, sit down. Let's read this. Let's read that. Let's pray this prayer that is written out for you. I'm like that, that. That prayer doesn't really feel like mine because I'm just reading it.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So we're always working on that and trying to improve. But the goal of it is to create a space of healing. And there is a lot of people in the world who have been damaged by the church, the Episcopal Church, and other other denominations and have been hurt and been excluded and been marginalized in the church, but who still have a love or at least a desire to know Jesus and a desire to be part of a community that values wrestling with that story together. And so that is part of the goal is to create a space of healing where people can come together and wrestle with those big questions together in a Mm -hmm. way that wherever you end up on the, whatever answer you end up with on the question, you're still part of the community. Mm -hmm. And so whether that's questions about, you know, ethical things, politics, differing opinions don't mean that you are out, Mm
6: -hmm. you know.
0: Here's where worship director Jason comes in.
6: It's kind of cool because I've been able to like, being more of like a consulting kind of role, and yeah. and and going like I don't, I actually don't think it's healthy for there to be one person doing music. Like that's wildly unhealthy.
0: Uh-huh. Here's Jason's worship partner. My name is Kim
2: Taylor, and I'm a musician here at Sunday night service. That's
6: so, like, what do I? How do I use the skills I've developed from all these churches? How can I use those skills? and help new people. And especially there's so many thriving, affirming spaces in other cities. And there's, I'm not saying that there's not affirming spaces in the Bay area. There are certainly people who have been doing this work way longer than me and way longer than city church, but there's not a lot of people doing it for folks in their twenties and thirties. And so, I think that that's what Sunday night service at all souls is kind of really aiming for that demographic, that local demographic who they're done with the conservative church. They're done with the, like they've gone through the pandemic and even pre pandemic and they've had their friends come out and they've seen black folk murdered <laughs> on the street. Like and there's like they're done, you're not going to talk about any of this. Like this is insane. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm all on board with helping those spaces. I think the tricky thing for me is I'm trying to figure out how I, where I belong in it as yeah. a white straight man. Right, right. And, tr- and tried to do it in a way again, that doesn't center me or myself, but being an asset to the greater Bay area, progressive Christianity community is really a, like what I kind of feel like I'm doing. Jason mentioned several
0: things that have led folks to leave their church or faith recently. The pandemic and their church's response or lack thereof, the murders of Black Americans and their church's seeming lack of empathy and action. I asked Emily what she felt like evangelicals were looking for. What other issues were they wanting to avoid? And she started with
3: abuses of power. Okay, thinking about some of the comments I've heard, I'm also, I can't help but think about the Mars Hill, the rise and fall of Mars Hill podcast. And I think people, so I'll speak for myself. I was attracted to the liturgy because it creates an order and the lectionary. So there's passages that are designated for every Sunday, for every year from now until eternity. And they're the same passage you'll read here or at the Catholic church or at the Methodist church or the Lutheran church. We're all in the same lectionary, I think anyway. I could be a little bit wrong about that, but I'm mostly right. And so there's it's not whatever the minister wants to be preaching about or whatever they're thinking about or whatever whims they're following. It's there's this really structured thing. Um, there's also accountability in that, and there's right. hierarchy, there's people watching out for stuff in finances and in decisions you make. There's bishops that that have a say in how we do things and that that we have to follow as congregations. All of that is abuse of power is the, a problem the evangelical church has, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Another problem is the, the matter of justice. And the Episcopal church has been a long time advocate for social justice and a Jesus who died a political death, who came for the marginalized and the poor and came to, to save them, to bring them back into community. And so that is what much of the Episcopal church believes about Jesus and that directly impacts how they live and what they do. And I mean, they've been ordaining women for a very long time. They ordain gay and lesbian people, um, and trans people. Uh, but not only that, the work of justice that the church does with those who are marginalized and poor is really impressive. So is that, um, so like something I've heard was people of color saying, I can't, or, or, white people saying, I can't participate in a system that's not going to recognize George Floyd's death on a Sunday morning after he died. Yeah, That can't go silently by anymore. I will not participate in that anymore. So there's, I think people are leaving for that, leaving evangelical church and would find a, a, a home in the Episcopal church for that reason. Mm-hmm. There was one other thing I had on my mind. Well, I, it's, it's the same sort of, but the issue of sexuality. And that it's a place where you can wrestle with that openly and you won't be barred to entry if you question the patriarchal heteronormative structures. Mm -hmm. But I've also just found that it's a place where you can ask a lot of questions um, and questions are of more value than answers, which is not the evangelical world that I grew up in anyway. Um, Answers were a way of power and uh, the more answers you had, the more power you had Especially when it came to spiritual and theological answers and right. the confidence by which you asserted those answers. And I don't find that the case in the Episcopal churches I have seen. It is all about wrestling with things and holding things in tension and and really trying to faithfully live out of that. So those are those are a few things that I think an evangelical would be attracted to in an Episcopal service. Okay,
0: so if that sounds good to wandering evangelicals, what would make them feel comfortable in a
3: service? What do they plan to tweak? I mean, for starters, for me, it was a lot about the music. The Episcopal hymnal has some really beautiful stuff in it, some really beautiful lyrics and and theology but like the melodies are, are like laughable. I, like I have, I have actually like just sat there and laughed and been like, this is, this is insane. You cannot sing to this, this is unsingable. <laughs> yeah. Like they, they they go all over the place and they end by like going up in a melody instead of like going down into like something that was any kind of resonance, it's just unbelievable you sort of get whipped around by the organ. It like just drives the the song through. So there's no feeling or like no lingering. It's like, just get through this because the notes tell us to do this. And so we have to keep doing it. There's not a lot of like space given for a lot of things. I say all that. And like, if my music, the music director at our church heard this, he <laughs> I, I, he is an incredibly thoughtful individual and the songs we sing are I mean like he is thinking about every theological possibility when singing these songs and I'm really impressed by him so that said I still just like cannot do it I cannot sing the songs so so the songs sing a
7: song, sing a song.
0: Remember, music is a huge part of evangelical life, so there's a lot of thoughts and feelings there. Here's Keith and I talking about some of my baggage. Oh, and you may recall, he himself is a worship leader. I'm curious about the music, how they're going to do that. I mean, I think Jason will do a really good job, but like, I I feel like I have conflicting feelings about music Mm -hmm. because... Growing up, I loved it. I loved the worship band. I loved getting getting into the music. And also, I feel like I have such a negative connotation now, too. Oh. Like, I don't want... I don't know.
3: Hmm. I get like, a
0: little, like, ick about church music now.
7: <laughs> same, can you say more about, yeah, music leading into...
0: I mean, just that when I think of all the songs from like when I was growing up in high school and stuff that are like burned into my mind, I also went to a Christian high school. So Mm -hmm. I also associate with like how rigid that church was as far as, you know, there was no women in leadership. There was no female pastors, the whole purity culture thing. It was certainly not like gay affirming in any way. And so I feel like I have walked away from that because of those things. And the music is associated with that. Got it. Does that make any sense? That makes sense. So totally. I want to like reclaim it cause I love it. But in my mind it's associated mm. with the things that I've said hard pass on.
7: Yeah. That's something like, as I'm like stepping into like these new church spaces where we're starting to, I'm starting to begin singing to God as, as a mother and like that's new for me, but I'm also like that's I don't think that's wrong. <laughs> like <laughs> it's um, not
0: wrong. It's and, beautiful.
7: And I'm just like, if God is spirit, hey, like God can like show themselves to us through beautiful imagery, through different genders, like in ways that actually speak to us. Yeah. So
0: in in all the different seasons of our lives mm-hmm. and what we need and Mm -hmm. yeah I've always been comforted by God as father Mm -hmm. and also man it's been amazing to find God as mother now Mm -hmm. too and it's kind of a no-brainer once you use both and understand both Mm -hmm. back to I mean you even mentioned just being able to see all these different like sides and aspects of the divine
7: yeah I think also like something that I'm like still like wrestling with or like grappling with is like just different cultures, how each culture can relate to God in such different ways where it forces sometimes, sometimes forces other cultures to rule out those viewpoints. And I think that also comes up in, in worship music. Um, If I went to my more like black Baptist upbringing, like calling God mother, "Mm," like that would be something that, would not be accepted yeah however like I noticed that in the more in more progressive spaces sometimes they tend to kind of step away from like atonement imagery of Christianity like because yeah I think we all get it like sometimes talking about the blood is like scary (laughs) um but at the same time like I feel like a song that just like as an example, um, this was not written by a black person, but a song that black churches do sing is um, break every chain, mm-hmm. which is there's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. And like the verses get into like, there's an army rising up and there's also like, kind of like blood atonement, like imagery. So it's like, kind of like the power of Jesus has yeah. the power to quash and quell oppression.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
7: And the desire for like justice in the world can be very intense. And I find that like sometimes in more progressive churches and circles, they're like, "Uh, oh, too much, too much violence. Right. And so like, that's kind of like what I'm finding myself kind of straddling right now is like, yeah, I hear both sides. And I'm, I'm trying to meet both where they're at, but I'm also hoping to like bring in something new yeah. to both sides yeah. whenever I can. Right. Um, oh, it's so hard. Yeah. Is forever,
0: forever, ever, ever, I want to give you an example of the work they do around every aspect of the service, but especially music. At this church, it's common practice to observe Martin Luther King Jr. Day by singing the song Lift Every Voice and Sing. But during their staff meeting, the Associate for Music at All Souls, Dr. Jamie Epgar asked a question. Should a song that's known as the Black National Anthem be sung in a predominantly white church? So they had a robust conversation about what the hymn means. The text and reception of the song articulate a sense of Black identity and aspects of historical significance. What does it mean for a predominantly white congregation to inhabit the we within the song? And they didn't leave it there. They had conversations with Black congregants about their experience of singing it. They discussed concerns regarding tokenism. Would singing it then allow a release of pressure, therefore producing a feeling of not needing to be part of ongoing struggle? They researched and read that Representative James Claiborne proposed making it the national anthem of the U.S. From his perspective, everybody can identify with that song. He sees potential in group singing as a way to strengthen their relationships. They reached out to a local pastor of an ame church that they have a relationship with to get his take he said that the sentiment of the lyrics can have meaning for non-african americans but if you're not ready to get into the pain and struggle it speaks of don't sing it if you're ready to have your heart moved and have that be the impetus of change in your life then join in the song i know all of this because all souls put this whole staff conversation out on their weekly video blog And this is the level of thoughtfulness I would want to have in a faith community. Plus, the transparency and acknowledgement that church leadership doesn't have all the answers. The Holy Spirit guides, then they ask and they listen. Spirit of
7: the living God, for a threshold.
0: Keith singing. But let's return to Emily and I talking about our feelings around Christian worship music. I was actually working on finding music for the podcast and it kind of like sent me down into a rabbit hole of like listening to some of the music from our youth. And I got like 20 minutes in and I was just bawling. (laughs) I think the last one that broke me was I listened to Amy Grant. You know the song El Shaddai?
3: Yes. El- oh my god.
0: I like just laid my yeah, face yeah. down on the table and balled my eyes out and I'm like what what is this? Like yeah. what is that? Yeah. Emotional what what is it connected to really? Like yeah. is it nostalgia? Is it family? Is it like feeling safe? It, totally. Or is it god? You know what I mean? Like I don't I don't know, but there's a thing there.
3: I I am with you 100%. I sometimes still listen to that, like dabble in it and <laughs> I'm like, oh man, where, what is this? That's, that's a good question for Jason too. Cause he's, he also doesn't have the answer. (laughs) No, he's like a little bit less afraid of all that emotional stuff though. He's kind of like, bring it on. I don't, that's my experience so far. He's Mm -hmm. been like, he's like more willing to do some of that stuff than I am. He wanted to sing. Oh my gosh. He wanted to sing this song a couple weeks ago. And I was like, no. No, we're not singing. What was it? What was it? It was something like, this was not it. But you remember like, hungry, I come to you for I know you satisfy. No,
0: you're level something. Yeah.
3: So it was something like that. And I was like, no, no, I am not ready to like actually take one of those songs. Even even though like the theology, Mm -hmm. whatever it was was okay. It wasn't, it actually wasn't doing anything funky, but it's just like, it's just too much a part of that world. I can't do it yet. So anyway, he's just, he's more ready to go there than I am, I think. But I don't know if I can properly explain how this
0: feels to folks who haven't been in the church. It's like if you play a sport you love, and then you have an emotionally abusive coach. Or maybe if you play in a band you love, and then they kick you out. Like, the love is still there, but there's this overlay of bitterness. Music in a church can be a practice that makes you feel closer to others and feel some kind of spiritual connection, the power or love of the divine. But the overlay. I'm not the only one with Christian music baggage. Maybe Kenny can explain it better.
5: It's weird for me. Because I think a lot of my understanding emotionally of feeling the presence of God really was underpinned by the self loathing and the fear that I had about or about being gay, especially, especially being a person that like, you know, would help like sing songs and lead worship. And I even directed the choir, you know, bunch just like, it always kind of was weird because you feel like, Oh, you know, it's the Holy spirit moving, but it's like, really, I'm just, I don't even know how to put this. Like, I think I feel like there was moments where the Holy spirit was, you know, I felt the presence of God in that way, but because it was so underpinned by like, I'm so ashamed of that. It was almost like not a, it was not a real healthy version of that
4: mm-hmm.
5: right it was a desperation for wanting that part of you that is quote-unquote dark or wrong to change
6: mm-hmm.
5: and for something miraculous to happen yeah I think that a lot of my early I mean my kind of early adult experiences were rooted in
6: that-hmm
5: And I recognize it over time. It was like, I need to decouple those. Mm -hmm. And I must deal with this to really be able to really experience God's presence in a way that is actually more true to what it should be, Mm -hmm. as opposed to putting it in context with all this hurt that I feel and all this rejection that I feel and all these other things that I feel that aren't from the spirit or from God or whatever, but they're from people.
0: So this is why Emily and Jason put so much thought and care into what is sung at Sunday night service. They're conscious of the emotional manipulation of the polished evangelical-style worship music. And the baggage many of us have that is shame all wrapped around our prior worship experiences. But not everyone has quite the outlook Kenny and I have. Tiffany keeps it simple.
4: Again, it's sort of like that other song. Like, it's not something I would... I, I sort of filter it through the lens through which I see scripture and God. So, I can make it sound more progressive than it is, and I don't necessarily disagree with it because it's not it's not taking a stand on anything. It's just like basically the whole point of it is saying God's pretty cool, huh? And I'm like, yeah, I can agree with that. Let's mm-hmm, let's get on board mm-hmm. with that.
0: So, if there's so much hurt there, why would people want to be part of a church? We've heard throughout this series that people do
3: want to go for a variety of reasons. Here's Emily's take. I think Rachel Held Evans said it best. It's the first thing that comes to my mind in her Searching for Sunday book. She's talking about leaving the evangelical church, but she worried who will bring us casseroles when we're sick. And I remember I read that line. I was out walking and I just like I just started weeping. And I was like, that's, that's exactly it. When you leave the, evangelical church, especially for one of the reasons I just listed, you lose everything and you lose, you lose your culture you came from and all those people and relationships. And, you know, your whole life, you grow up watching everybody take care of baby showers and the the surgeries and the whole thing. And then to just like, well, that's all gone now. Church is such an important thing for that kind of community. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a really specific kind of community. It's a chosen family of sorts. And they take care of really specific things like the casseroles and um, the gifts, the meals, all of it. It's also like uh, church is one of the only intergenerational spaces other than a, a family. It's really hard to do, especially in the Bay Area. It's hard to do, I think. And so to have that where like my daughter's playing with octogenarians, right? Like, where does that happen? doesn't happen very many places but it's also a place where things other than the material have value yes and there's also not a lot of spaces there's art spaces that kind of hold that but they also are really intertwined with the material and sometimes not the best ways or in ways that distract or this is a place the church is a place where you can ask those spiritual questions and they actually have immense value. And sometimes it's hard to to know where to put that part of our lives and, and churches where you can do that. I think that's really important. I think it's an important space for that alone.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, pulling yourself out of yourself for a mm-hmm. minute, like, We're just very self-absorbed beings right and so all week long we're thinking about like our needs our wants we're inside our brains our worries our concerns our fears blah 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 Mm -hmm. and i kind of feel like having that one day a week or however frequently you might go to try Mm -hmm. to get out of your own head and into like the universe (laughs) like the things that are bigger than you whether that's your community or your church or you know the creator, yeah. like whatever it is for you. I think there's some like rejuvenation and, and mental and spiritual health that comes from that.
3: I think so too.
0: And you can get that other places too, other things, but-
3: You can. <laughs> but trick yeah. an
0: easy way, a built-in way to just step aside for mm-hmm. it.
3: Yeah, and I think of like, even, um, we do a corporate confession in the Episcopal church that comes just before we receive communion. And I, I remember when I first came, this is one of the most powerful like liturgical things that I understood. And that had meaning for me because in the, in the evangelical church, you receive communion when you're ready, the tray gets passed, you know, you grab your little juice cup and your little Trident gum wafer. And somebody plays just as I am, uh, which I do really love. <laughs> and you get yourself into a place where you feel ready before God to receive. In the episcopal church, you have a moment where you corporately confess your sins. So we're all in this, we're all doing this and then the priest absolves you of your sin not because they have like the power to forgive your sins, but it's it's a reminder to say, this is who you are, all of you. like it doesn't matter what you did this week or who you are or what, like you're all in the same place. And then you walk forward to receive communion and you take it because that's the time when you take communion and you do it together, regardless of how ready you are, which is like, I think that is theologically more accurate that God is just there saying, this is what it is. And we just receive, even when we don't feel ready, like Anyway, I there's just a lot of pieces like that about the liturgy that I find really compelling um, as an ex-evangelical. They go directly against the individual personal salvation, Jesus, that I was raised to believe in. Yeah. All those little things, they all add up and they mean something, you know.
7: It's kind of like a both and for me. It's like, again, like I can sit with many beliefs now and many practices now. Right. And be like, maybe this, this part isn't for me, but I feel like it's doing a good work.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very freeing for me that it's very freeing. Like, you know, we just went to that one service and I thought it was cool. And there was definitely things... I liked and things that were like uncomfortable and some things that were weird, but it was almost like I liked the people, like I liked the vibe. I felt like everyone was kind of like open to this thing we were doing together. And it's like just that part, like overweight, anything that I didn't like or didn't feel comfortable with. Mm.
7: Totally. And I also think like, I mean, All Souls was just starting this new Sunday night service thing. So there's so many different ways for it it to change and grow and and i think we're all just kind of breathing into it right now and right. seeing how it feels yeah so but cool. yeah. yeah what did you i don't know more specifically like or dislike if i if i may ask
0: i liked what's his name dan dan did the little talk right
7: yes i liked dan yeah i
0: thought it was funny i liked the history he brought in about the chapel and the language and like all that i found that to be like Interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, like the whole thing is so different than anything I've ever been to. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like Dan had an ego. I didn't feel like he took up all the air in the room. He didn't go on forever and ever. I liked that. Maggie, a woman, was the one that served communion and did the prayers and, what you know, had the collar on. Like, even those little things I'm not used to, and I really liked it. Mm-hmm. I liked when Dan asked a question, and then, like, three different people replied to the question. So it was, like, a little bit more discussion format.
7: Yeah, Dan was super engaging. And that was probably, like, one of my favorite parts of the evening, just he's a super engaging fun person like both in terms of homily or sermon or whatever you want to call it like and just talking with him he's a great guy yeah
6: greetings people of earth i am dan i am a seminarian but it's not as bad as it sounds
7: (laughs) i also liked um well yeah like he how he gave enough historical context without it being overwhelming in terms of like learning about christ sophia kind of the feminine aspect of God being wisdom. And that's like historically like an Orthodox idea that I feel like conservative Christians today would be like, yo, that's blasphemy. But I'm like, no, this is what early, the early church believed. And it was also just great having like the kids in the background. Oh, me too. Again, going back to like family, like that's where like the church really feels like families where kids could just kind of do whatever they're going to do.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I really liked being outside like I think if I was inside like a fancy church, it would have felt more constrained, and this felt very casual, mm-hmm. low pressure. Totally. Here's what Aaron had to say about Sunday night service. So you're willing to try? Well, you have tried Sunday night service one time, and you're willing to go again. Yeah. Why are you willing to go again?
1: Because, like, these people are the most jaded people. (laughs) Like, I I finally feel like uh, I have found a crowd that is like us. Like, not all of them are sure why they're there either. (laughs) But they're there.
4: That's so true.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Plus, it's, like, ran entirely by women, it seems like. So... That's a, that's a different experience.
0: Yeah. Well, there's Keith, Aaron, and I's first impressions. We were out of our comfort zone, but we were open. And I'm sure it helped that their mindset was to meet our needs first. Mix it up so that these evangelicals don't run for the door, or in this case, the courtyard gate. Here's
2: what Emily and Maggie hope for their endeavor. I mean, across the Episcopal Church, people are doing things like the, the Sunday night service but they're, it's small and they pop up here and there on a local level. And I think in some ways that's how it's meant to be, right? Because it's meant to meet a certain group of people where they are. But my dream is for that, for those communities to, as they pop up, to have a bigger impact on the church as a whole. But mm. what, what would that look like? I think one of the biggest impacts that that could have is that people formed in those communities would then be in leadership later, you know, in the Episcopal church, like say the Sunday night service goes on for 15 years. It's conceivable that someone from that community would have a call to ordained ministry in the Mm -hmm. Episcopal church, but their experience of the church is that, which is not necessarily like, the, a lot of the rest of the Episcopal Church, and so them being in leadership allows for different expressions to pop up, and mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and over time the church becomes more, I don't know, versed in trying new things.
3: The first thing that came to my head is trust and healing. I mean, I already feel like it's successful because people have showed up that I didn't know, like yourself, who trust God. Me, I don't know, trust the church enough to like give something like this another try. Because most of us have left a place and uh, it takes a lot to go back in. You have to have done a lot of work on yourself to go back into the church after some of the experiences we all have had. But then the, the second part of that trust is like the healing part. I will know it's successful when I see people like, well they're they're so intertwined, but when I see them really engaging it, all of it and actually healing from what they're doing and believing in the church again and believing in God again, finding new ways to believe in Jesus, finding new ways to believe in themselves and like their own stories because a lot of that we've had to cut off like, literally cut off and say that can't be part of me if I want to do this thing yeah. and so I don't have like a metric on healing exactly except that like showing up I think is a part of healing yeah. which is all, which is everything to do with trust and and like belief which is like such a f- funny thing and such a beautiful thing too to actually like that hope of belief and like wonder and awe all those are like really healthy signs to me. And so if people are doing that and they're willing to like creatively believe again in something, I I, I will feel like, shit, (laughs) This, this did something.
0: So there's new things out there. If you desire a faith community but don't know if there's something for you, there is. It might take you 10 years to find it, but that's okay too. This is just one little church in one little town, who have put so much time, and thought, effort, probably prayer, and even dollars toward this endeavor. Asking themselves along the way, how do you invite people who have been hurt by the church to church? I've got one more example of new church experiences, something that Jason, the curious one, got to be a part of with the Vine SF at Grace Cathedral. You'll hear clips of it as we go from the professor and Reverend Yolanda Norton, featured in a clip from Broadly.
6: Beyonce Mask could be like a whole episode. <laughs> uh, it got like Vice News and the BBC and all the Bay Area people and CNN picked it up, I feel like. Uh-huh that's where i was like oh i that night i've never felt anything like that in my life yeah. just that yeah, room yeah. i can't describe to you the overwhelming feeling of what was happening in that room
4: for those who could stand in front of you and say as a black woman i am created in the image of god and i
6: am here to change the game and make the world a better place This Beyonce Mass was developed by our intern at the Vine and his professor at San Francisco Theological, Yolanda Norton. She had started teaching a class called Beyonce in the Hebrew Bible. And they were like, let's do a service. So they'd done it in their class. And then he was actually our like pastoral intern. And we were already doing these kind of bigger masses we were talking about. And he's like, let's do a Beyonce one. And it just so happened, it was like, the week after she did Coachella, uh-huh. which was like, so it was like just total coincidence. Like, we didn't plan that. It was like totally goddess happening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh huh. But that night, I was like, this is, this is, this, that was like the first night where I was like, when Jesus talks about, you know, you'll do things and people will despise you or hate you, but they're good things in my name. I was like, I was like, oh. This is what he's talking about. He's not talking about evangelizing communities in Mexico because you're a white guy from the South and can't speak Spanish. He's talking about like centering black women in a church, not Beyonce. Just so we're all clear. The internet trolls love that. Like, Oh, they're worshiping Beyonce. No, we're, we're centering black female divinity and their story around the music of Beyonce. That's like what it was. Yeah. And I'm like the amount of hate and like there were crazy things happening that week. There was like packages being shipped to the cathedral with like unmarked pad. It was like crazy. It was like out of control. Um, But that's how much hatred was like thrown towards this idea.
3: Yeah.
6: But again, I, I don't think I was ready for that in 2010 I think all those things that we've kind of been through, like led to that moment. Like even me as a musician, being able to skillfully replicate Beyonce songs, (laughs) I didn't think I had that in me, but I, I was the music director for it. I like charted all those songs. I did the rehearsals. I found the players. We did it all. Like it happened. And I was like, oh, this is like, this is super cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it was interesting space in the regard of like, there were people I knew in the room who I would say don't have a fond perception of me because <laughs> of some personal things that we experienced together. Okay. But like in the moment, in the space, none of that mattered. Right. And I was like, oh, this is like, this is what oneness looks like if you want to go down that lane. Yeah. It doesn't mean that we we don't have to deal with that stuff, but, like, in this moment, in this space, this is what, like, this is what every church is trying to do, mm-hmm. and we're doing it mm-hmm. with Beyonce's music. Right. Yeah. It was, I, I'll never forget it. It was, like, yeah. And then it just spread, like, wildfire online with the Vice News piece and all that.
0: Mm-hmm. Was the response predominantly negative? <laughs>
6: No, it was overwhelmingly positive. I mean, like especially from the local folks to Chronicle and like Cron 4 I mean Vice even too. Like, the media outlets were like, "Oh, I didn't know that church could be this way." And you've got people who were like, "Why can't of grew up in church?" But if it was like this, I might come more
0: often. You know. Right. Right. <laughs>
7: I am
4: unapologetically a minister of the gospel. I am unapologetically a biblical scholar. And I am unapologetically a Beyonce fan. And I don't feel like I need to apologize for any of those things.
0: I did go to Beyonce's Lemonade. I went to a sing-along for that. And that in
2: itself was a holy moment. I mean, that was like, yeah,
6: this is what this is. It's just a (laughs) sing-along at a church.
2: Yeah, (laughs) love it. Beyonce and her music as a platform to bring people into the church to
3: hear the message was truly, truly powerful.
0: I got really excited about this and went to watch some videos on YouTube. Then, like a complete idiot who's never met the internet, I read the comments. And I remembered oh, this is why I don't f with evangelicalism anymore. I'm not going to give any of my precious breath to disputing the things in that troll hut. All I know is listening to Lemonade is a spiritual experience. And you can keep all your sermons with football and golf analogies. I'm good. What all the personal stories in this series highlight for me is that God is right here, inside. And I respect that each person has their own journey. I love hearing the moments when folks feel God tell them something. You're okay. You're fine. Just tell someone. That will help.
5: One night, randomly, we're hanging out, and I just, like... This was one of those moments where it wasn't like some like audible voice or something, but it was like something... This maybe it's the spirit. Disp- I don't know. I'm not sure. Presence of God, whatever. It was like, you need to tell him that you're gay. I had no I'm like. I don't even know this dude.
2: But yeah, I think that was like my most like real tangible experience of Jesus. I remember I was, like, in my dorm room eating ramen on the floor, just, like, crying, like, <laughs> being gay is so hard, and what are my parents going to say, and blah, blah, blah. And, like, I just remember Jesus being like, that's fine. You're fine.
4: I have had moments where I've definitely heard a distinct message to do something. One of those was when I applied for that job as children's minister after I'd had that debacle with the thing. And I got a very clear, it's time for you to go back to ministry.
6: Hey, do you talk about the goddess ever on air? <laughs> no. The podcast goddess? <laughs> well, I think the podcast goddess made me do it probably. Yeah.
0: some who haven't had a moment where they've heard or felt God, and they may still have faith. I was standing on the coastline high above the ocean. It was a dark night, but the moon was out and the sea was glittering with its reflection. There were no city lights, so the stars were bright in the expanse of the sky. I took a slow, deep breath, and a tear of wonder sprung to my eye. And when I opened my mouth to speak, my best friend beside me said in awe, This is why I don't believe in God. We saw the same thing at the same moment. We were both awestruck by the enormity of the universe and the smallness of ourselves within it. And what convinces me of God makes someone else pretty sure there is no creator. Is it our personalities, our genetics, our upbringing, our IQ, my need for an emotional crutch? I don't know. But I do know that she and I are equal. She and I and you are good and sometimes bad. We are wise and sensitive and empathetic. And we are responsible for hearing each other's stories and ideas and loving each other the best that we can. And that's all. promised myself I wouldn't get too preachy in this series. Yes, I have my own beliefs constantly evolving, but I just wanted to share with you some of our struggles as evangelical refugees and how folks have resilience and desire faith. But I gotta take a moment to talk to my fellow EWCCCV for a second, because there's something striking you need to know. Look around you at church next Sunday. You have queer people in your church Your babies are gay, your friends and family are gay, and your theology is harming them. I know, I know you have two verses that you're clinging to telling you that it's sin, but I'm begging you to read more. God would never ever want you to use those 14 words as a reason to reject someone made in his image. You can rejoice in them, love them fully, and even see God in them and in their relationships. How wonderful would that be for you? Maybe even try it out and see what the fruit is. What is your relationship like when you try it? How do they feel? How do you feel? I didn't set out to tell a gay Christian story. There's plenty of those out there if you want to listen to them. But they fell into my lap. When you open that door, as the rhyme goes, you'll see all the people already worshiping. And the urgency that you feel to preach the gospel is assuaged because God is doing the work for you outside the church doors. Here is the church. Here is the steeple. Open the door and see all the people.
1: A friend friend in Jesus And I know
2: I think for me in terms of my call as a Christian person is just like being just so compelled by the person of Jesus that I was like, I could spend the rest of my life talking about this dude.
4: And so when people ask me what I believe, that's what I tell them walk with God and do whatever
5: you want to do. The thing I probably believe 100% is that I don't and will not ever really know everything. (laughs) That's why it's faith, right? It's like you kind of have to just, at some point, put your trust in the unseen and in the journey.
7: Yeah, I believe God exists. I believe that Jesus, the historical man, existed. And... Gosh, like, he's such an interesting figure. He got tried and killed for essentially sedition against the Roman Empire and also for being at odds with the religious elite at the time. And yet we just know so little about him. Like, and that's, and that's, but like, that's, it's just crazy how we still have a movement about him today.
0: For listening to this series, not the same. We will have upcoming episodes about evangelical adjacent religious experiences. Because you know what? We're not the only ones exploring and looking to make change in our faith tradition. You can join the conversation at Abby Normal Podcast on Instagram and find the songs and books mentioned in this series on abbynormalpodcast.com. I think that there's a lot of this kind of thing that's popping up and is underground and not visible. And this, is one, this is one thing of it, you know what I mean? Like in yep. a broader yep. effort.
7: Yeah, I don't know, it's crazy. Like, I feel like most of the global church would be like, oh, that's just like American Christianity. Right?
0: <laughs> we don't know what the fuck they're doing over there.
3: Yeah. <laughs> is it is it, a slippery slope. Which is yes. what was told to me. You know, exactly,
0: like, <laughs> yeah, they were right, it is a slippery slope. They were right,
3: they were totally right. I was I was warned to watch out for the gay bay when I moved here and to not get caught up in that slippery slope. And um, I totally did, and it was totally worth it.